Hi, this is Jean Dian. I am the Vice President of the Value Experience Group here at SAP Concur. My team works with our customers to bring positive business outcomes based on data-driven insights. I'm here today with Oren Gashuri, who is from our Deloitte partnership. Uh, you may recognize Oren from a few other podcasts. Oren, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself here? Yeah, Gene, great. Thanks for having me here. Oren Gashuri, I've kind of been around the block once or twice uh, uh, in these circles, but uh, I'm looking forward to a great conversation today. This is one one of the topics that that are near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and today's conversation is going to be based all around travel and looking at foundational elements to make our traveler well-being and traveler considerations stronger and create uh, programs for further um, future-proofing our travel programs. So, Oren, when we think about traveler well-being, it's really taken a turn in the past two years. It started with the uh, with the pandemic, but there have been a number of other things that are happening. And when I think of this in sense of duty of care, I think of it as a broad term. I think of it related to business continuity. But really, when I think about that duty of care standard, it is changing rapidly in today's business uh, world and in the just the regular environment overall. Would you mind sharing with us a little bit about duty of care and if the standards differ across the world? Absolutely. I mean, it's a great question. We truly live in a world of uncertainty, more so than ever. Now, obviously, generation to generation, they're going to say, well, you know, I I experienced the worst thing ever. But uh, I think objectively, the world has become more crazy, especially with recent uh, pandemics and things like that. Duty of care as a concept is, is really, really interesting. It's essentially, if we can define it briefly, it's the the obligation of an organization. So we're talking about corporate travel here. So the, we're, we're kind of framing this in terms of the corporation. Uh, it's the duty of the organization to ensure the safety and will add in well-being uh, for of that traveler, of the travelers that they are sending out in the world on behalf of company business. That's kind of the nutshell. And especially in the past few years, it's gotten a lot of attention because of, you know, all the, the COVID lockdowns and, and how uh, everybody had to pivot to this work from home scenario and now extending kind of some of that duty of care obligation to now that employee is working at home and they're performing work duties at home. So the lines kind of blurred a little bit in the past couple of years. And we've we've seen across the world different approaches to how duty of care is handled. There are some countries, uh, England, for example, uh, they have the Corporate Manslaughter and Corporate Homicide Act back in 2007, which is a great name. It's one of the better named uh, laws I've ever heard. But even uh, in France, they have the, the Duty of Vigilance Act. And, and there are other countries around the world that are really starting to put some attention to this. Uh, really in those laws, it's talking more about negligence even more more about gross negligence and so the duty or the standard of proof is kind of based on that but uh you know the us uh though there's no federal law protecting or, or talking about this to some extent there are different state laws especially you know i'm in crazy california you know california when, when something happens in california eventually it's going to bleed across the rest of the country so yes. this really is becoming a focus of legislation to fill in the gaps where the organization has not brought to bear basically yeah 
And in thinking of duty of care, the way that you've identified it, we've always thought about it from safety, but you mentioned the word well-being in there. And so we always thought about it. I mean, when I ran a program, it was, you know, how do we help somebody who gets sick abroad? How do we help keep people out of danger? But as we look at the lens of travel now through equality and diversity and inclusion, this really becomes a bigger process, right? It's no longer looking to see, oh, there's a hurricane coming or a snowstorm. It's really looking at your employees, maybe their religion or their gender or their color or even sexual orientation. I mean, we've seen that recently, you know, in just recent world events. So when you think about this, what are you seeing out there? Are there things that really come to mind to you at this point? Well, so uh, absolutely. You know, uh, one of the biggest uh, knock-on effects of the past several years of of pandemic and and other sort of world events is actually in the mental health space. And, you know, mental health has has truly been impacted. I mean, uh, my my wife, you know, and I were constantly talking about how people aren't acting like they used to. Some of the, uh, like the the, the kettle is boiling over, so to speak. Uh, And there's a lot of frustration in a lot of places. And, And that has come to play in the the relationship between employees and employers as well. I mean, we've we've just gone through a period what we call the great what they call the great resignation or the great reshuffling or whatever the great thing is, right? But uh, that was really a rebalancing of uh, of power between employee employer, especially because employees realized that they might be able to take sort of rest control of their career. They didn't have to stay in that sort of uh, mental health. Uh, sort of uh, critical zone. Maybe they use that as a factor to look for another another position, another job somewhere, or or to renegotiate better terms where they are uh, already working. So that, that's kind of been an interesting aspect of this. But if we broaden this, you know, you mentioned some recent world events, especially with some marginalized groups. Um, you know, World Cup, which we're currently, you know, in the middle of, and I won't talk about any teams playing back and forth at, 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 at this point because uh, it, it's been a lot of surprises. But one of the interesting things is since this is in Qatar, Qatar is, you know, a, a, a Sharia law nation. It is a Muslim nation and it is de facto illegal uh, to be uh, in the LGBTQ plus community or to be openly as part of the LGBTQ plus community. And we're seeing right now, there are 69 countries in the world that in some form criminalize LGBTQ plus activity. Now, some of those laws, maybe they date back to the 1800s and they just have never been stricken from the books. But the fact is they haven't been stricken from the books. So they're uh, you know, they're ripe for exploration or ripe for uh, taking being taken advantage of uh, for political purposes or, or whatnot. Right. So, uh, you know, also let's take a look at just other marginalized communities, the, the disabled who travel. You know, the U.S., we have the ADA, you know, George H.W. Bush signed that into law. And since then, there's been a, a slow movement towards making things more accessible. But that's that's the U.S. That's not happening in the rest of the world. And there are a lot of countries who don't even think twice about it. You know, they have high curbs and, you know, things like that. So uh, there, there's a 
a, a lot to be said for the company preparing their travelers as they send them out into the world for various purposes to think about what the destination is and what that that particular travel's disposition, how they will be sort of embraced or or not embraced when they go to that country. Right. Wow. Yeah. To I think about that. You mentioned accessibility. That becomes really critical because the work from home and hybrid experiences that we've all been experiencing over the past two years have brought many, many more people into the corporate work world that may not have been part of it before. So as we start to think about how we're working with our employees when we send them out to travel, this becomes a real critical challenge to spend maybe more on what we would consider before to be marginalized groups. So, you know, maybe the idea of how they're booking their travel or the type of travel or the type of room, do we see that coming into play? And how can companies actually get some assistance or think about that in ways that they hadn't thought about it before? Does it tie back directly to policy? It, it absolutely does. You know, I think organizations are gonna need to start loosening purse strings a little bit because there's always been this driving inclination to just say whatever the lowest cost is to travel, uh, some exceptions here and there for, for various groups. But I think systemically, we need to reframe that conversation and say, you know, to, to really be an inclusive travel program, an inclusive uh, sort of environment, we, we need to open up to all these marginalizers, not just disabled, we talked about LGBTQ+, women travelers have just as much of a, 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 a challenge sometimes when compared to their male counterparts, uh, even other marginalized groups. And when I use the term marginalized groups, you know, here in the US, we're probably talking about some of the uh, minority groups, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, race, but also gender. Um, but in other countries, marginalized groups may be different. So I, I don't want to say anything here that's going to that's going to be a blanket statement uh, for marginalized groups. But let, let's just hone in on a couple of these things. So, for example, uh, women travelers. So it, it, what's interesting about, you know, there was a study a couple of years ago by the GBTA, the Global Business Travel Association, uh, about women travelers. And, you know, more than eight in 10 women, you know, over 80, like 83 some odd percent of women say that they've experienced some real safety related concerns while traveling for business. Uh, they also believe, you know, there's a, a huge portion of this who who truly believe that they face greater risk than their male counterparts, general safety risks, sexual harassment and assault risks, uh, you know, when they go to certain countries and cities, uh, even, uh, you know, assault and kidnapping, although that's maybe less uh, of a of an actual risk, but it is still a risk. So when we adjust a policy to allow women to have a, a little bit more of a trusted trip, trusted travel. Well, obviously looking to book at trusted hotel chains, that's something, but consider the safety of the neighborhood. You know, we we have a lot of tools at our disposal. There are great apps out there, one of them being, you know, GeoSure, th that actually rate neighborhoods for various safety factors, uh, female safety, LGBTQ plus safety, uh, robbery safety, political activity safety, right? So it, it pays to have that extra caution 
when booking travel to say, okay, this is where my hotel is going to be, or this is where the office is, or my client is. And I need to take kind of do a, a brief risk assessment and understand what are the risk factors as I go to that location, looking for hotels closer to the work site. You know, I'm sure most organizations have great negotiated rates with hotels near major offices, but that's not always the case. Right. Um, you know, Airbnb is an interesting question and and other, I don't want to pinpoint Airbnb, but other sort of home sharing type, uh, right. property sharing type things. and the rest. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. It, even every hotel brand now, Marriott and Hilton, they all have a kind of an equivalent of this now. Yeah. They, these are typically owned by individuals and so there are certain, you know, we've all heard the horror stories in the news about cameras and other things in, in some of these uh, shared properties. So, you know, we have to make sure that we curate the the available properties that we even target if we allow them in our policy, making sure that only top rated properties are allowed or, you know, looking at the security uh, index uh, of those areas. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, Policies are key. You know, the in that study from GBTA, it, it was mentioned that over two thirds of the women who travel for work are uh, sort of focused, think that their company should modify policy to specifically address those female concerns. But only eighteen percent of policies really touch on it, even. Yeah. So it's a, a kind of a big disparity. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of what you're talking about rings true. I mean, I've been traveling since I was young. I can say how old I am, but I was traveling <laughs> since I've been young. Um, and I had never really thought about it until my actual manager came in and his wife constantly traveled for work and he recommended certain things to me stay in a hotel room that's close to an the exit or close to the um, elevator area don't let anybody say your room number out loud don't let them even direct you to where you're going or even mention a floor that you're on and I never really thought about that he actually even had me order room service in certain areas because he didn't want me going out by myself in the dark in areas where we had to work because he was afraid for my safety. I was a single female walking down a street. And and even though it was a decent area and there would be lots of crowds, he didn't want to expose me in that way. It's fascinating that you say that because I recently read a study um, from Travel Guard that said 84% um, of people had said they weren't aware of any tools that would give them safety tips or that their employers didn't provide that kind of safety tip or resource. So if we think about that, that's a huge amount of the traveling public that has that uh, you know disconnect with how we keep people safe. Um, I did want to jump back though to something that you had said earlier, you know, about the traveling and Airbnb. It it triggered in my head. I, like I said, I traveled before when I was younger. When I was twenty six, I started traveling before the sharing stuff. What was before the, thing? the sharing yeah. stuff happened? Yeah. Um, my daughter is twenty six and traveling for work now, and her safety concerns and the way that she travels and her generational view of how she travels and the tools that she uses are super different than when I went to travel. And if I look back at travel programs, even if I look at my own travel policy here at SAP Concur, it's written for a certain generation of traveler. 
without and exception. that generation yeah. is moving out of the work world do you have any thoughts around that idea of how travel managers can kind of future proof that program so that they're keyed into some of these new generational challenges as well it's a great question. And in fact, I think in the, the podcast released on this feed just today by Ralph Kalunga talked a lot about generational travel. And it's a, it's a super interesting topic, you know, especially as mores and, and social norms change from generation to generation. You know, uh, a perfect example in the U.S., there are 7.1% of adults self-identify as a member of the LGBTQ plus community. But if you pinpoint just Generation Z, which is currently the youngest generation in the workforce, 21% similarly identify. So yes. there is, whether it's a question of uh, people being more comfortable about coming out or, you know, whatever the case is, the, the statistics are very clear that the younger generations entering the workforce we're talking millennials it started you know to some extent gen gen x but millennials for sure and of course gen z looking to the alphas after gen z that it is in the us the most diverse the most non-hispanic white uh, sort of mix of people that we've ever seen in the workforce now uh, you know by 2020 already Millennials and Gen Z were 50% of the workforce. By 2030, it's expected that the Gen Z and alphas are going to be in that same kind of index. Most of our travel managers, and I I'm not trying to cast aspersions here, but most of our travel managers in corporate America come from an older generation, uh, yeah. boomers and maybe Boomer yeah, uh, maybe even uh, some Gen X in the mix there. Yeah. And, and they might not have the same sort of social framing as these digital natives, right? And uh, as these people who have grown up in a more egalitarian type of environment, a more inclusive environment. So with that said, you know, we're also seeing, we're, we're in a, a state now where if you look at the trans murder monitoring, you know, we have a lot more trans activity than we ever have before. And th that project, you know, there have been, you know, almost 400 uh, transgender, gender diverse people who were murdered, you know, between, you know, October 2020 and after, which is an increase from the prior year. There are certain countries where that is more prevalent. And by the way, the U.S. is one of those countries. So uh, we, we need to inform our travelers and, and awareness is really the key here for for any of these sort of uh, groups, marginalized groups, that is the first step. Awareness of what the issues are and understanding that there are others that are, you know, maybe hold different beliefs and different things. And that is in direct conflict with my autonomy or my, you know, quote unquote freedom. So uh, th that has to be part of the calculation. Yeah. So when you think about that, I, I think about this, you know, we've got a, a changing of the guard from a demographic perspective. We've got a change in the order of things within the general world view, uh, women, people of color, LBGTQ plus, we've got even native groups that yeah, are indigenous in here, groups. indigenous groups. When we think about that, how do we bring people who have not always had a voice or who we maybe not have seen um, from a, an overall perspective in pulling together policy, we may not have seen them at the 
table with us voicing their concerns, how would you recommend we bring those people into the process for our travel managers to really make a broader, more inclusive policy and program to future-proof the organization? You know, it's it's funny. Uh, when I engage with some certain clients or I have conversations with people at conferences or whatever, I ask them, oh, so you're, you're, when's the last time you dust off your policy? And most of them will say, oh, I did in the past year, year or two, something like that. But when was the time that you rewrote the entire policy from, from the, the ground up? And, and they say, well, for the past 20 years, it's basically been just mod- minor modifications of the original one from back in the day, right? Which, you know, some uh, gladly, none of them still mention seatback phones and airplanes, you know, at least that's gone. <laughs> but, uh, you know, th- th- a lot of them don't understand that uh, or, or maybe don't fathom that uh, those types of old school, and I will call them old school, old school policies are de facto non-inclusive. Right. Some of them are still written with different gradings of, uh, you know, VPs and above get this and, you know, different travel classes, things like that. And and that is just inherently non-inclusive. There is a lot of sort of effort to try and get some internal voice of the customer. And that is the thing that I have to recommend to everybody is just set up a focus group, talk to some of your people, but don't just, you know, target necessarily your power travelers, because the power travelers in, a, in an organization, in the U.S. at least, are probably of a certain demographic or at least predominantly of a particular demographic. Mix it up a little bit. Gra- grab, uh, you know, put an open call to all groups and say, we really want to hear your experience in traveling on behalf of company business and how we can give you the tools to be safer and to have a better state of mind as you travel. And, you know, first of all, the open calls, especially if you serve lunch, you know what I mean? Uh, (laughs) They're they're gonna, uh, definitely, you're gonna have people flocking to help with you. The, The problem is most travel programs, they just do things in a silo. Maybe the compliance person is there, maybe the legal person is there, but it's still basically a very small panel of people with very little input from the, the body population. You know? mm-hmm. So really it's a change in focus to not just dictate from the mountain how things should be, but to include from the bottom up to the top to ensure that everything is inclusive from the organizational perspective and get all those perspectives in there to have a better, more comprehensive policy and program that speaks to the actual needs of the employees as well as to the needs of the organization. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some would argue that it is, and in fact, I, I also argue that it is absolutely in the interest of the organization to to bring in the voice of the employee uh, the, you know, there is this uh, sort of inclination, you know, or uh, corporations are not democracies, right? You know, so we, we don't need to necessarily ha- have this egalitarian approach, but we've seen a shift in that balance of power. We talked about that earlier, great resignation and whatnot. And that is happening and continues to happen because some of the more traditional organizations are just not opening the mail, right? They're, they're not reading the letter from the, from the new generation saying, we don't care for this or we won't stand for this, right? Right, yeah. I think this all ties back too to that recruitment and retention of employees. It's part of the employee experience. You know, organizations are 
inclined to tie almost specifically to cost measures. You can't have a black car. You can't be in business class. You can't spend more than X number of dollars. I don't want you eating from the mini bar. I don't want you ordering room service. And it's that idea now that maybe that cost is really costing you in a greater way for retention, recruitment, for bringing people in and making them feel safe and comfortable. Are you seeing those kind of thought processes where they're opening up to maybe allowing for black cars in specific areas where people are traveling or reducing or minimizing or taking away some of the restrictions around how people travel um, and what they can expense on the company's behalf. Are you seeing any of that happening? Are you seeing the start of it? Well, we're definitely seeing it. And some industries might be a bit more open to that than others. Some of the, the newer tech uh, sectors, the, the, the TMT, as we call it, tech, media, telecom, those are more open to some of those kind of modifications. The more traditional sectors like financial services, in some cases, manufacturing, they're uh, a little bit more uh, resistant to that concept. I, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, uh, there's a, a great thought leader in this area, Scott Gillespie, who yes. talked about the total cost of travel, which is balancing the cost of travel against the overall well-being of the traveler. Because it's, you know, there's a, a calculus there, right? And, you know, you send, forgetting about marginalized groups for, for a moment, you send the six foot five guy uh, into economy class and he's going to have his knees shoved in his neck you know, while he's traveling, that, that's not a great experience either, right? And the the total cost of, of that travel, you know, if you're too rigid on, on spending a little bit extra money where it, you know, would be advantageous, well, how much money are you going to spend retraining the person who you had to hire to replace the guy who quit? I come from, you know, before I was in consulting, I, I was in the entertainment industry. I worked at a few, you know, studios here in, in Los Angeles, and it was... I don't want to say common, but it was a, a fact that when a new executive, a VP, a SVP, especially some hotshot coming from one studio to another, when they were coming into the studio and negotiating their package, they would often ask for a copy of the travel policy ahead of time and negotiate exceptions for themselves. Or, you know, sometimes they would look at a really horrible policy and say, you know what, if this is how the organization is, hard stop. Nope. You know, they would just nope it. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of that now, uh, maybe not to that extent, but you are seeing especially millennials and, and Gen Z who are, you know, joining organization, getting a feel for how rigid that organization is and, and just noping it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say it's not just from the entertainment industry. I had worked in biotech we actually had executives who did the same thing. They came in and they were just like, I am not traveling this way. This is how I travel. This is the exception that you're going to make for me. And I think that's probably more common than we think. Right. And so we need to probably think about it on a broader scale. If that's what we have certain people coming in and asking for, maybe this is something we should consider from a larger perspective for the organization as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, m making it more inclusive up and down, but also, uh, you know, I think plenty of studies, I don't have any statistics off the top of my head, but there are plenty of studies that show that investment in travel actually improve your overall bottom line in terms of sales, re you know, revenue, et cetera, et cetera. So there, uh, there is a definite benefit to, you know, making a trade. You, you might be 
uh, spending a, a couple of dollars more, but the overall impact to your employee is going to be immeasurable. Yeah. So you mentioned something earlier, and I'd like to bring it back to something that we just spoke about. You talked about the cost of travel um, from Scott Gillespie, but I also think about it as it relates to well-being. You talked about, you know, you and your wife having those conversations about people's mental health and that stress that people are feeling. Everybody's at that point about ready to bubble over. Yes. And we've seen all the news articles about people attacking flight attendants, people going berserk in airports, people just losing their minds over things that may not have caused that type of reaction in other travel times. As we think about our employees' mental health and the cost of travel to them as a person, do you have any recommendations for organizations about what they should keep in mind as they're building out their policies for the future? You know, it, it just so happens that some of the rules that might reduce the, the mental stress around travel can also be part of a sustainability uh, agenda as well. A great example is the number of layovers a person has to have, right? Uh, a, a lot of times uh, an organization is gonna say, you know, uh, you, you, lowest logical airfare, which is gonna be, route me through, you know, uh, uh, Albuquerque or wherever it is, nothing against Albuquerque. But uh, the, the thing is, the more legs on a flight you have or on a trip you have, th that's more carbon footprint and more stress to the traveler, right? So you can kind of kill two birds with one stone in in a way. But if you, you expand the thought process, people need to, as they're traveling, there are a lot of pressures. On, I mean, I'm a, I'm a road warrior. I, I know about this and I just, I, I just happen to be stubborn. So I kind of just roll with the punches, but uh, you know, a lot of people, they want to go work out at the gym, at the hotel, which might cost a little money. Who cares if they pay 10 bucks for, for the day, you know, a lot of, a lot of hotels included, but, uh, and I have seen recently policies slowly starting to allow it, but it, it's by no means common yet. Uh, things like that. You know, unless you're a government contractor or something like that. So I, I want a glass of wine with my meal. You know, uh, mm -hmm. is that so bad? So what? Right. TSA pre. That's a great example. And, and I'll include global entry. Other countries have different equivalents, but this is essentially from, uh, you know, the, the ability to bypass some measure of security or at least uh, skip skip forward. It is. They just redu reduced the price on it too. It used to be eighty bucks. Now it's seventy-five bucks for five years. Why would a company not pay for this? It, it boggles my mind. Yeah, it's an amazing investment from a time perspective, and it also gives your employee the sense that hey, they care about my time. They care about the fact that they're making me leave home to do something on behalf of the company, and I really feel a loyalty to them because they're taking me into consideration. Yeah, exactly so. But let me add, it's also about that company proactively, or that organization, I'll say, proactively providing information. Really, it is about information. You know, a, a great example, we have uh, disabled travelers, people who might need some special accommodations going to countries that may not, uh, uh, you know, sort of comply with what we think of as accessibility. Well, there's a great organization, Mobility International. Uh, they have a website. You just go to the website and uh, you can look at 
you know, most countries around the world, and it'll show you how that country handles accessibility and what their thought and their mores and, and different things uh, around that. Just telling your traveler, your, you know, disabled traveler about the site is a step in the right direction. Just arming them with the tools, whether it's the State Department website or your own internal resources, just to, for that employee, for that traveler, to give them enough information to kind of do a little mini risk assessment that makes them comfortable with the travel, that goes a long way. And a lot of companies don't even do that. They don't even mention it. You know, if you're traveling, they might have the the indicator when they're booking travel, oh, you're going to such and such place that requires a visa or whatever. But it doesn't say, you know, oh, you happen to have this new, in the US, this new gender marker X, which is now available uh, but most countries in the world don't recognize that, right? So when you go to this country, how is that going to apply or how is that going to come into effect, you know? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I I, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> yeah, seriously. We could talk for hours, um, but I, we probably do have to wrap it up. I want to be mindful of your time. Um, if I could just kind of summarize what we're talking about you know it's really that review of policies uh, as you relates to travel for inclusion making sure that everybody in your organization has consideration in how they travel and where they're traveling to and the other piece of it is in information, 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 right? We need to share resources. We need to make sure that our traveling employees and our employees who only travel on a minimal basis, whether you're a road warrior or somebody who only takes two trips a year, that they know where the information is. They have access to the information. And we as travel managers are providing it to them. And then finally, it's that idea of cost over value. It's that idea of yes, this is going to save you money. So from a cost perspective, it's being very cost conscious, but what do you lose in value? Are you losing your employees? Are you losing the ability to be more sustainable? Are you losing the chance to set yourself up as a market leader or a market forerunner for how business is going to be working in the future? Um, so I think that's what I've gained from our Absolutely. conversation. Yeah, you 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 nailed it all. And I, I would just say, uh, I would actually implore travel managers uh, to take a moment and just step in the shoes or, or imagine yourself in the shoes of some of these groups that we've talked about today and, and what their travel experience is like. I, I know it's difficult for me sometimes to step out. I mean, I'm a, you know, cisgender white dude, big hairy white dude. So, I mean, I don't have a lot of, a, a lot of things against me societally speaking, except when I travel, I have experienced stuff, you know, it, it's not, it's not just for uh, the, the people we've talked about today. It, it really is, creating a, a program that sets the stage for all of your folks, all of your travelers to be safe, to uh, to be uh, sort of secure in their own self, and to grow the company as a, a true leader in advancing the agenda of all your employees. Yep. I couldn't, I, you said it much better than I did. Thank well, you thank so you much. much. <laughs> 
thank you for your time today, Orrin. We really appreciate it. And hopefully we can have you back again to talk about any number of other topics as it relates to travel. I really do truly enjoy and I know uh, that our listeners enjoy listening to you as well. You're really a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love doing these things. And, you know, I'm I'm a nerd on a lot of topics. So uh, happy, <laughs> happy to participate. Fellow nerds unite. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, you know, when I was in school, nerds were always like, oh, you're such a nerd. Now nerds rule the world, right? So that's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. That's exactly right. And so for everybody else, thank you so much for listening. And we really appreciate it. And on behalf of the SAP Concur Conversations, I'm Jean Dian. We hope to hear you the next time in our conversation.